Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you that we uh, come to uh, a good, good Father, uh, a Father who knows uh, just what we need before we say a word. You know, everything that uh, our hearts wrestle with, you know, everything that we're afraid of, you know, everything that uh, makes us angry, you know, everything that we're insecure about, you know, the things that uh, cause us to not be able to sleep at night. You, cause, you know the things that we daydream about and you know the things that we have nightmares about. You know just what we need before we say a word, but you call us to pray in order that we might engage in relationship with you, that we might draw near in intimacy with you, that we might be able to grow in our dependence upon you. And so we thank you that this is who you are. You're not a bad father. You're not an okay father. You're not an absentee father. You're not a distant father. You're not just a good father, but you are uh, the father of lights, a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Help us to believe that and may that shape the way that we pray, the way we relate to you, that we would know that we are coming to a father, but we're also coming to a king. So large petitions with us bring for your power and love are such that we could never ask too much. And so, Father, we thank you that you call us to your side, uh, that we would glorify your name by equipping Christ-centered leaders to transform the world. We thank you for the ways that you call us to be your church, both gathered and scattered. Our, our kingdom keepers, Awana, youth ministry, house churches, our congregation, Father, remind us that what we do in here is meant to serve what we do outside of here. So, Lord, help us. We pray that you would move in us as we prepare to go through many transitions as a church uh, with the retirement of our senior pastor, Inky Kim, with different transitions that we have with elders being established and us being chartered at Harvest as an independent uh, church. Lord, we pray that you would help us during these times as we learn who we are, that you would mobilize your people to say, this is us and this is me and this is your church and this is Harvest and I'm a part of it. Pray that you would rally us to be able to live and to love and to serve so that Christ be exalted through us. We thank you for our friends um, who are serving in the world in places around, whether they mobilize your workers or whether they serve on college campuses, whether they're serving you in places like Korea or Japan or amongst uh, unreached people groups uh, scattered throughout the states, uh, whether they be serving in Taiwan or Hawaii or, or, or um, Kyrgyzstan or uh, Myanmar, whether they're in Thailand or Vietnam, Spain, Cameroon, Australasia, uh, Jordan, Ecuador, uh, Turkey. Father, we lift up our friends in the places around the world and pray that you administer to them, that your church be built through them. And through our prayers and through our joyful giving, Lord, we pray that your church be established in places like this. In Afghanistan, where the need for your church uh, to be strengthened and to be protected and to be prayed for is huge. Father, that's our family. Those are our brothers and those are our sisters, our mothers and our fathers, our children. Lord, may we pray and may you raise up the walls of protection and a bold witness to rise up to shine your light in the midst of that place. And Lord, as we continue uh, for one last time today to hear about who we are as a church, pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and give us ears to hear no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our bodies or minds or hearts may feel, Lord, we pray that you would speak in a way that is clear to each of us as well as to us as a body. Pray for those online as well as those in person that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church and that you would be with me, my gracious master and my God. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. We thank you so much. 
We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. Can you uh, just turn to the person next to you and say, thanks for being here. I'm glad you're here. Just uh, greet somebody next to you in the name of the Lord. You can do that online as well. Uh, as I mentioned, we are finishing up a series today um, called This Is Us. We're beginning next week a new series called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. As we look at um, who Jesus is, we look at some of his encounters and how he showed himself to be uh, a friend to sinners and a friend to broken people. Um, we have spent the first five weeks of this uh, academic year really focusing on who we are as a congregation so that as we move forward to be planted out as a church that we'd really be able to understand like this is who we are and this is what God's calling us to be. Um, and starting next week, we're going to focus a little bit more on our uh, individual walk with Jesus and who he is uh, to us. Now, it's also the first of the month, uh, first Sunday of the month, which means our communion tables are set up. We're going to come to receive the table of, uh, from the table of grace today, so um, we will be doing that. If you walked in and you didn't get a, a, a bulletin, um, it would be helpful if you had that today. If you take notes, um, it would be good to have a pen or a pencil or something like that because we're going to use that um, at some point at the end of our time here today. Um, if you don't have one, um, you can grab one and you could fill it out, uh, do what you need to do with it later. First of the month for our family also means that it's a, a shift in the calendar, and when the calendar, the page of the calendar turns, it means that um, each of our kids gets a different chore around the house. Uh, one of the things that Olivia does is she tries to make sure that Manny and Elijah and Elise um, are being involved in the workings of the family, and so um, each month a different set of chores is given. One of them will be wiping down the tables after the meals. Uh, wiping it down, making sure the table's clean for the next time we eat. Uh, another one is taking all the trash bags out of the, uh, the rooms and the bathrooms and putting them in the big trash can and wheeling it out to the curb. Another one is unloading the dishwasher that we use not as a dish rack, but we use to wash dishes, and they'll unload that and, and put, the, uh, put their stuff away. Because Olivia's trying to teach them, if you're part of our family, then you've got something to do. <laughs> if you're part of the family, there's a part that you have to play. A um, few years ago, we were um, at, at our home, we invited, Olivia had some friends over from Virginia, and they were eating dinner with us, and after dinner was done, um, the lady of the house, um, of that household, got up, and she uh, went over to the kitchen and started washing the dishes, and so trying to be a good host uh, to her, I said, uh, put that down, like, what are you doing? Go, go sit down, you don't need to do the dishes, and she pushed me, which was a little bit strange for me, uh, she pushed me, and she said, who do you think I am? I said, well, I thought I knew who you were. She said, I'm not a guest. Okay, don't treat me like a guest. I'm family here. <laughs> I thought to myself, I don't really know you that well. But she said, Olivia is a sister to me. She's a sister to me. I'm family. And I'm not just a normal guest here. Let me do the dishes. <laughs> so I let her do the dishes, and uh, she proved her point. The same thing that Olivia is trying to teach to our family. If you're part of the family, then there's a part that you have to play in building up this family. As we've been looking at who we are as a congregation, I want to ask you a question today. Is this church your family, your spiritual family? Right, do you see Harvest as your church or is it someone else's church? This is my friend's church, this is their church, this is the church, this is that church, this is the church. 
but it's not my church, it's not our church? Or do you feel like this is mine, this is my church, this is our church? Because if it is, then this is your family, and if you're part of the family, then there's a part that you have to play. Right? That's just be, called being a good family member. We're going to see this, but there are many places we see that throughout Scripture, but I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 16 as we look at what it means that we're a family where everybody does something. A family where everybody does something. Ephesians 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, but this was a circular letter. It was a chain letter that was meant to be started in Ephesus and then to travel all around Asia Minor. So what Paul is doing is he's setting some teachings, some general teachings, not only for the church in modern-day Turkey, but for all of that surrounding area. He's trying to explain to them, this is what you need to know. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. He says, but to each one of us, okay, get that, that's important, but to each one of us, he's talking to believers, people in the church, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's where this parenthetical ends. And he goes back to what he was saying. It was Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. For what purpose? Here, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When that happens, okay, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. This is the word of God for the people of God. What is Paul saying here? Well, if there's a couple things that you see in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, Paul sets forth this glorious discourse, probably outside of Romans, the most beautiful explanation of the gospel truth of who we were, of who God was, and what Jesus did in order to bridge us together. And then in chapters 4 through 6, it talks about the application of the gospel in our lives. And so in chapter 4, we begin to see what does it mean for us to be a Christian? So what that we've been saved? And then in chapter 4, Paul begins to explain. And one of the things here, it says, is we have been given grace upon grace, and part of that means we're part of a body. And in that body, he says in verse 7, each one of us grace has been given. And then at the end of that, it says the body grows as each part does its work. In other words, he's saying if you're part of a church, then you have a part to play in the building of that church. Listen, if you said that this is my church, this is my family, then this is a family where everybody has to do something. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to serve, but 
Ephesians goes beyond that. It says not only that we have to serve, but it tells us why we ought to serve. And that's what I want to look at today. Three things about this family, why we need to serve. Here's the first thing. You have been uniquely shaped. Okay, every single one of us. This is Aaron Burrell. This is High and Hannah Chu. This is Hannah Kim. This is Gian Terrell. Every single one of us, you have been, you are uniquely shaped to do something to serve the church. Right? Every single one of us. Okay, whether you're a sixth grader like Jaden or whether you're an older person in here, every single one of us, every one of us has been uniquely shaped by God to do something to serve the church. He talks here in verse 7, each one of us, grace has been given. This is the word, same word, terrorist, grace, gift. But to each of us, grace or each of us, gifts have been given. That's why he says here, uh, that's why it's written, when he ascended, he gave, uh, led captives, and he gave gifts to men. When I was in second grade, um, my teacher had a little storage closet in the classroom. And in that closet, at the top of the shelf, there was a box. And in that box, there are a bunch of little trinkets and a bunch of little toys that we would grab from when it was our birthday. It was a box of birthday gifts. So there are things, uh, I remember somebody had a Rubik's Cube, somebody got a Rubik's Cube out of there. There, was, uh, there were pencils and pencil cases, a um, bunch of little trinkets, yo-yos and things like that. And so whenever it was somebody's birthday, it was a month of their birthday, she would bring down the box and everybody who had a birthday within that month would be able to take something from the box. It was like the best day for anyone if they had a yeah, September birthday, the end of September or the beginning of, I forget when it was, you'd, get, you'd look in that box and then you'd pick something from it and you'd take it home and it was awesome. That was like my favorite day. The last 10 minutes of the day, like uh, in, in that particular day of the month, um, you'd get, be able to get your gift. The problem was everybody was getting their gifts, but my birthday was in July. <laughs> so I remember watching the first time it happened. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. I can't wait for my birthday to come around. Then I remembered, but we're not in school in July. So I remember September, October, November, December, each month going by, and I started feeling jealous, and I was like, man, I'm going to miss out. And so sometime along the way, maybe in March or April, I built up enough courage, and I said to Mrs. Young, my birthday's in July. How will I get my present? And she said, that's a, that's a really good question. And so she went up to the front of the class and she said, everyone who's got a summer birthday after June 18th and before Labor Day, if your birthday falls between this time and you're not going to be in school, then on the last week of school, I'm going to let you come up and you're going to get to choose a gift from the box also. I was so happy. I was so excited. I was so worried that somehow I would be left out of receiving a gift that everybody else was going to get. And she was comforting me to say, don't worry. Your gift is coming to you also. Paul is saying the same thing here when it comes to the church. He said, none of us have been left out in the distribution of gifts. He says, when you become a child of God, to each one of us, gift and grace has been given to you. A gift has been given to you, a spiritual gift, at least one, that you can use in order to serve and to build the church. Every single one of us has been uniquely shaped. Nobody has been left out in the distribution of gifts. God didn't say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot it's summer, you didn't get a gift. No, 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 he's not like that. He says, but to each of you, grace has been given. That means if you've been given a gift, 
You've been given a gift in order that you might be the gift and give that gift to the church that you call your own and to the world in which you live. Some of, some of you know what that gift is. A gift, here's what a gift is. Just very simply put, put three things about a spiritual gift. One, um, you enjoy doing it. Like it's something you enjoy doing. Number two, you're actually pretty good at doing it. Right? Some, some of you love to sing and you think you got a spiritual gift of music and singing, but when you start singing, people run away. They don't come nor, near to you. That's not a gift. If you're not good at it, okay, you got to like it, you got to be good at it, and other people got to be blessed by it. Okay, some of you are good at it, you love doing it, but when you sing, like nobody's blessed by it. Now, you can be good and, and people aren't blessed, right? When like all the attention is on yourself or you sing vibrato all the time and people are like, I mean, it's good, but it's like not a blessing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. I won't mention any names, but maybe you're like that. You love it. You think you're good at it, but other people aren't blessed by it. But if all these three things come into intersection, that's probably a spiritual gift for you. Each one of us has been given something. Some of you, you have a gift of encouragement. Like whenever you talk to people, no matter what state of mind or heart they come into that conversation with, at the end of the time, they just feel like a million dollars. Do you know people like that? Just talking to them and you just feel like, man, I came into this conversation on flat tires, but now I'm leaving on eagle's wings. Right? Some people are like that. They're just life-giving, coming out of their mouth. Right? Some people, their gift is in, in, in worship leading. Like they're leading people in worship. They're good at it. They're, I mean, most of our people on stage, I think all of our people on stage are like that. They're great at it. They love doing it. And when we engage in worship, we're blessed by it. Other people, you're like, man, when, when you see money, you see money differently than other people. When people get a paycheck or they get their direct deposit and they're balancing their, you know, their balance sheet, they look at all the money that's coming in and they think about what they can get with it. They think about all the toys they can get. They think about the new clothes they can get. They think about the new toy they can get, uh, the, the, the grown-up toy, whatever it is that you buy. They think about all these things, but other people look at money and you think about what can I do with this for the glory of God? What can, how, who can I bless with this? Who might need this? What cause can I latch on to? Because money you see differently when you have a gift of generosity and giving. Some of you, whenever you see someone walk in and you don't know who they are and, and it seems like nobody knows who they are, you just are gravi you, you gravitate towards them because you want to give them an unforgettable impression of Jesus and of the church. And you're like, I don't want anyone to feel left out. You see things that other people don't see when it comes to people. Or you just, want to, you just want to welcome people and make people feel loved. And in your home, you've got a gift of hospitality. You just, want, you just open the doors to your home and people just walk in whenever they want and you'll give them whatever you want and you don't charge them an entrance fee or anything like that. You just bless them. That's your desire. Other people, it's like when you come to, to, to church facilities, you, you just see, man, that, that chair is, out of, is not in line and, and you just want to fix it. You don't care if anybody's watching you just want to do things and you like being anonymous. You just like doing things that nobody sees. Each of you has something that God has gifted you with. When you use that gift, that you serve other people and people are blessed by it. See, sometimes we don't know what these things are. You develop them, you develop them, you discover them as you practice them. When someone says, hey, you want to do this? You're like, I've never done that before, but I'll give it a shot. And then you begin to real. At some point, at some point, you try for the first time something, and you may or may not realize that's a gift for you. 
You, you, you get into your house churches and you start serving in small ways and then people begin to recognize that and then you serve in bigger ways as you come into the bigger body that is harvest. You serve in our youth ministry and then you begin to develop a, a, an acquired taste for servanthood and you love serving people in the way that you do. But a lot of times we don't see what we have unless other people help us to see it. If you know what you've got, then you've got to utilize that. You've got to use it. But if you don't, a lot of times it helps when someone comes and they walk alongside of you and they help you to see it. If you don't know what it is, ask somebody what it might be. It's not just spiritual gifts. I said you've been uniquely shaped, and shape is an acronym. It stands for spiritual gifts and heart, abilities, uh, personality, and experiences. Each of us has that. It may not be spiritual gifts that you recognize, but you know you've got a heart for something. Some of you, your heart beats deeply for elderly people. And you're like, man, that, those are the people I want to love and serve. Some of you have a heart for children. Some of you, you, all, you don't know why, but you always cry when you hear about the refugee crisis in different nations. Others of you, your heart just breaks when you hear about uh, the underground church or the persecuted church. Other people are moved by it, but you just have this, you can't stop being moved emotionally. Some of you, it's for orphans, but each of us has a heart that is different, and you've been uniquely shaped to do something to serve the church and the world in which we live. It's not just our heart, it's our abilities. There are so many shows that you can watch on TV. America's got talent, Britain's got talent, every country's got talent. The church has talent. You've got abilities. Maybe for some of you, it's the ability you can like juggle like really, really well, or some of you can skateboard really well. Some of you can... Um, do yo-yos or magic tricks or whatever it might be. And these are abilities, and you might not think they're much, but God can use those abilities that you thought were just things that one day my, my mom handed me a kazoo and I started playing, and all of a sudden all these people are paying me money to listen to me play the kazoo. This is weird. But these abilities have been placed in you by God. It's your personality. Some of you are just really love being around people. Some of you love being... Behind the scenes, your personality are things that God is, is something that God wants to use, your experiences. Each of us has experiences, a unique set of experiences. Some of you have survived illness, and your experiences are going to be used by God to do that, to serve other people when they're going through illness like that. Some of you have experienced rejection when you're growing up, and you have a heart to love people who are in places like that. Some of you have gone through emotional or mental or some kind of illness, and your heart beats for people like that. You never knew why you had to go through those things, but it's out of that brokenness that God wants to use you. Each of us has been uniquely shaped to do something to serve the church. And a lot of times we don't see it until somebody points that out to us. That's the first thing that we see. Okay? You're uniquely shaped to do something to serve the church, number one. Second thing we see, when you serve the church, the church becomes mature, and so do you. When you serve the church, church becomes mature, and so do you. This is what, uh, this is what Paul says here. When you begin to engage, it was he who gave these gifts to people. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. 
And then he goes on, he talks about we'll no longer be infants tossed here and there. And then it says we grow, build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. The Word of God is telling us that each of us not only is uniquely gifted in ways that nobody else in this world is gifted, but when you begin to use that gift, the body of Christ begins to grow mature. So again, I want to go back to that question. When you come to this body called Harvest, is this your church? Do you feel like this is your church? Because if it is, then there's a part for you to play to build up this body to be who God has called us to be. See, the prayer of every child of God begins in one way. We ought to always pray, God, bless me. Lord, I want more of you. God, I want to seek you. I want to see you. This is what we see this in, in like Paul's prayer. God, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, even fellowship of sharing in his suffering, so somehow I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's praying, God, bless me. Every one of us needs to pray for more of God within our lives. You see this throughout the Psalms, but the difference between a mature believer's prayer and an immature believer's prayer is that the mature believer doesn't stop with just bless me. They move on to say, God, use me. God, use my life to be a blessing. Here's my life. Here's my hands. Take it, Lord. Consecrate it, Lord, to you. Do you pray simply for the blessing of God or do you pray that God would use you to be a channel of blessing into the world? Because the reason we're blessed is in order that we might be a blessing. You know this, that God doesn't give us more in financial resources to raise our standard of living. He blesses us with more financial resources in order to raise our standard of giving. The reason we're blessed is to become a blessing to other people. That's top line, bottom line. All throughout the Bible, beginning with Genesis, God says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the world. Out of this tiny group of, of just you and your wife Sarah, I will build a mighty nation and that all the nations on earth will come to you and be blessed because of you. The difference between maturity and immaturity is the mentality that we have. Do we just want to be blessed so that we can be blessed, or do we want to be blessed so that we can be a blessing? That's the difference, maturity and immaturity. If you are a member here at Harvest, here's what it means. That means you've been through, you hear our vision, you hear our mission, you know this is us, you know who we are, and you're saying, I'm all into that. Right? This is important. Okay? The reason this is important is because when you become a member of a church. There's a difference between coming to church and being a member of a church. There's a difference between attending church and being a member of a church. There's a difference between participating in church and being a member of the church. Membership implies a sense of commitment, and if you're a member of our church, which many of us are, here's what it means that at least four times you have heard the vows of membership in the church. Okay, you heard it in Harvest 101. You heard it when you signed your covenant membership form. You heard it in your interview with me, and you stood before the congregation, and you raised your hand, and you made a vow. And this is what many of you promised. I promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. Let me say that again. If you're a member of our church, this is what you said. I promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. 
And there comes a time in which you need to cash that in. It's times like this where we move from becoming a dependent congregation to becoming an independent church. It's times like this where we need to grow into and be who we are called to be. Because when you serve the church, the church grows and the church begins to mature. See, there are a couple kind of people that come to church that sit within the seats. It's one group of person that comes as a consumer. There's another group of person that comes to be a contributor. A consumer says, hey, I'm here. Uh, I need my needs to be met. They've got to have the best youth program, the best kids program. You've got to take care of my kids. You've got to do this thing because, after all, I'm putting my money into that box at the end of the service. Okay, that's a mentality that, is, that works in capitalism, but that's foreign in the pages of Scripture when it comes to the church. Okay, a consumer mentality, this is a consumer mentality. It means, okay, so our family goes to eat. A few months ago, we go to eat at Culver's. Long line of people. It's packed. It's busy. But we go there and we say, you know what, uh, we've got a, a, a hundred different places we can give our money to eat. We're going we're gonna to eat at Culver's. And so we stand in this long line, and then we pay for a meal for the five of us, and we go and sit down. We're waiting for our food. On multiple occasions, someone comes by with, our, uh, with food, and we think, that's our food tray full of food, that's ours. They walk by us and they go to somebody else. Or they're on their way to us and they stop at some other table. On two occasions, one of the ladies bringing out the food walks by us and she looks at our number and she looks at our table with nothing on it and she says under her breath to herself, I don't know if we're supposed to hear it, I don't know if she, she wasn't talking to us, she wasn't loud enough, but we heard her say, y'all still ain't got your food. She said that twice. As she walked by, an hour later, this happens to me a lot, but an hour later, our food comes. This gentleman brings the food to our table, and he's like, here's your order, number 82 or whatever it was, and he takes the, the number, and he walks, he's about to walk away, and I say, excuse me, sir, thanks for our food. I don't want to be a jerk, right? I don't want anybody spitting in my food. I don't want anyone getting mad. I'm, I'm a, I follow Jesus. I'm trying to give grace, but I said, hey, thanks for the food. It looks awesome. Um, we waited for about an hour for the food to come. I was just wondering, can I talk to somebody about that? Like, as nice as I am, I've got to call that out because that's my right as a consumer. Because I paid my $42 for the five-person meal. So I said, can I talk to somebody about that? He's like, I'll go get my manager. The manager does not come back. That same dude comes back and he's like, my manager said he will give you your money back for your food. I said, that's great. You know why he did that? Because in a consumer culture, the customer is always right. And the highest aim of consumerism is the satisfaction and happiness of the paying customer. Because if you don't get that right, they're going to write you up on Yelp and Google, and they're going to take their money somewhere else. And consumerism depends on this virtue that you make sure that the customer is right, and if they're wrong, you tell them that they're right anyways. Because that's consumerism. And a lot of people think that the church works in the same way as the American economy. That because I give my money and I give my time, you need to meet my needs. And if you don't, then I'm going to leave because there are a million other churches I could go to. And maybe some of us are sitting here today, and that's our thing. 
I don't want to come back to this church because I don't like the way that that guy talks. I don't want to come to this church because they don't sing enough songs. I don't want to come back to that church because I don't like the way some people looked at me. I don't want to come back to that church. That's, I understand that. We've got things that we need to work on, right? But on you, okay, on you, there's a difference between a mentality of a consumer that says the church exists for me. Like it's got to serve me. And if it doesn't, then I could go anywhere else. I could go wherever I want. What if you walked into Culver's and you had some kind of an interest in Culver's? Maybe that's like your family name. That's your great-great-grandpa or whoever it is that started. Maybe you're from Wisconsin and you love Culver's and you want to see the name of Culver respected. I don't know what it is. You work there, perhaps. And you see there's all these people and their food is not coming. You do one of two things. You could jump in line and you could complain. You can write reviews that this, this place has taken forever and you could be part of the challenge or you could put on a Culver's uniform and say, you know what, I'm going to contribute and be part of the solution here. What can I do to help expedite the process here? I know that's not, you can't just put on a Culver's uniform. But anyone who puts on a Culver's uniform wears the name and bears the name of Culver. And they say, you know what, I want to see this name become great. I want to do my part in order that this organization could really grow and be all that it was meant to be. Guys, as people of God, you're not saved to be in isolation. When you are saved, Ephesians says, you put on Christ on yourself. You've got the uniform of Jesus on you. And the question is, are you coming to be a consumer or are you coming to be a contributor? Because each, each one of us has been uniquely gifted and shaped with something, with some way that you could serve the church, apart from which the church will not become mature. Whether we're mature or not, I think that's something for God to decide. But I would say that we're probably a little bit more mature than we were years ago. Because people decided that I'm going to take what God has given me and I'm going to release it to the church. Think about what would happen. Think about what happens when you who are uniquely gifted and shaped do not use what you have to serve your church. What happens? Can I ask you a question? What would happen? if our praise leaders decided to stop leading praise, would our church grow to become mature? What would happen if our preachers stopped preaching? Would our church continue to grow mature? What if our youth pastor decided to stop pastoring and our shepherds decided to stop shepherding? What if our prayer people decided to stop praying, our encouragers decided to stop encouraging? What if our givers stopped giving and our helpers stopped helping? What if our greeters stopped greeting? Would our church become mature? Because you see, each one of us, each one of us has been uniquely gifted and shaped to do something to serve the church. And when you do, the church becomes mature. The crazy thing is, you're not just buying into a mission and a vision that's completely outside of yourself. When you do, you become mature as well. 
because you, you understand this in the stages of a, of, of a human being. A baby's only desire is that his or her needs would be met. There's no thought to I'm looking to serve other people. Like a baby's not like, I'm going to share my, you know, <laughs> my milk with somebody else. He's not saying that. Like, where's my milk? Give me my milk. But as that child, as that baby becomes a, a toddler, they begin thinking. Begin thinking. Maybe when they have a baby or they see a baby of their own, they look at that baby with love and they pet it on the head or they try and put a pacifier in its mouth. They begin thinking about other people. It's a sign of maturity. That toddler grows older and becomes a child. They begin to learn what it means to share. They begin to learn that sharing really is caring about other people. Child becomes an adolescent. Adolescent begins to think, well, the world is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Adolescent becomes an adult. Adult becomes a parent. Then we begin to really think outside of ourselves. It's maturity. Some of us, okay, are stunted in our spiritual growth because we have not taken that step out to be able to serve other people. Okay. Because we're constantly thinking and we're thinking, I don't have time to serve. This life stage is too difficult for me to serve. I don't think I can do it. I'm so busy at work. That's true. All of that is true. Right? We don't discount that. But if we can find some way, okay, some way, some way that you serve and begin to think outside of yourself, we begin to grow and mature. For some of us, the next step in the growth and development of your relationship with God is for you to begin to serve your church in ways that you're uniquely gifted or even not gifted, but out of love for your church, for the family, to say, I'm going to do this. The other day, um, a, few, a couple weeks ago, um, Elise said, uh, Mom, Dad, uh, there's a frog in the house. We're like, no, there's not. Stop messing around. She all like to mess around like that. But at the same time, she's always the one that spots lizards and things like that, you know, wherever they are. And so, uh, so we ran down the stairs, and uh, lo and behold, on the floor, there was a frog. I'm not uniquely shaped to love frogs, I'll tell you that much. Like, I do not like frogs. I had a toad growing up, uh, but frogs are a whole different bird. They're nasty, they're slimy, they're yucky. I was like, uh-uh. So I said, at least go call mommy. <laughs> but then uh, I knew that this is something, even though I don't love it, uh, I had to do it. It took me like 20 minutes to figure out how I'm going to catch this frog without it jumping on me. I was trying to figure out, how do I really get in here? How fast is that thing? Like looking at its mass, this is about how fast it can move. So finally I, I took a you know, I, I, I caught it, and then I was thinking about selling it to a restaurant to eat frog legs or flushing down the toilet. But, I, you know, I, I, was, I was humane about it, and I let it go, and it, you know, jumped outside the house. I thought about it. I, I don't love, I hate frogs, actually. But I caught the frog because that's what you do if you're part of a family. Sometimes you do things that you don't want to do out of love for the family to which you belong. And now the next time a frog comes, I'll be a little bit better equipped to handle it because when I serve other people, I begin to grow and I begin to mature as well. Second reason why you ought to serve is not just because you're uniquely gifted to offer something that only you can give, but it's when you serve, the church begins to grow, mature. And so do you. 
The last reason we see here why we ought to serve, it is God's amazing grace that allows us to serve. Again, we're not doing God a favor when we serve God. Something I talk about at Harvest 201, if I, you know, ask someone to, to do something for our church and they say, no, you know, I don't think I can do it. I've got, you know, this, that, or the other, whatever the reason is. Um, I'll, maybe I'll ask them a couple times. But I don't think I'll ask more than three times because I don't want anyone to feel like God needs to beg people to do his work. It says, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Remember in the Dominican Republic, our, one of our missionaries down there, we were down there and there's uh, three or four other churches and so three or four other pastors there and he just like randomly asked people, can you preach this sermon this one day? And he asked this, this pastor from New Jersey, he said, can you preach tomorrow morning? And you know, those of us who've been there for a long time, we know that, yeah, we, we will always say yes because we don't want to say no. I guess what we do. But this, uh, this young pastor said, um, I only brought two sermons down here, and I've preached both of them, so I don't, I don't think I can do it. And so uh, Pastor Choi said, when I was a young man, whenever anybody asked me to do anything for God, to do anything for my church, whatever it was, I never hesitated to do it, to mop the floor, to staple papers for the children, to sing a song, to share a story, to do anything, because I knew that for me to be asked to serve God, that is the greatest privilege. When I sit up here and I preach the Word of God, I'm not doing God a favor. His workmen will die, but his work will continue. If not me, somebody else. I pinch myself sometimes that this is what I get to do. Like I get to open up the word of God that can see lives change, that I can be an instrument, a voice, a mouthpiece of God. Like God could use my words to bring transformation to the lives of people, age to age, day by day, hour by hour, the message of the cross being transforming power. I'm not doing God a favor. He's allowing me to serve. This is amazing grace that I get to do this. Whatever we can do for God. I used to be a, like, in my closet, I used to be a worship leader. I used to love worshiping God. I'm, I'm the guy, I, I, I love singing I'm terrible at it and ain't nobody blessed by it, but I love doing it. And my dream was always like, I prayed sometimes, God, help me be a worship leader. I want to be a worship leader because what I thought about in college, I thought about the times when, when, when worship teams would be leading us in, in praise of God and just how I got lost in worship and I encountered God and I saw a glimpse of His beauty during those times of worship. I said, man, if, if, if I could do that, if I could be used by God to lead people into an encounter with God, like they could see God and then like I could just like walk off the stage and, and people are encountering God, what, what an awesome thing that is. Like what a gift that would be to be able to do that for God. 
whatever we can do for God, that's all amazing grace. It doesn't need us. But whenever we get grace, it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. God's grace, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. That's not just you're saved and you're going to heaven and you got a purpose. It's grace to be able to serve God. That's part of the package of our salvation that we receive. Like we get to do that for God when we should have been dead. Like we should be dead. We were dead. And dead people can't make ourselves alive. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. That every breath that we breathe, it's like Lazarus. You know when Lazarus died? He was dead, right? Four days dead, stinky body, dead, and he rose again from the dead. And you think when Lazarus rose again from the dead, and from that point on, everything that he did, like he knew, I'm living on borrowed time, right? You know, he, like I'm living on, I'm, I've got, I'm playing with house money right now. I should have been dead. Everything I got now is just bonus time. Everything he did was like, this is grace. He sneezes and people are like, that's grace. He should have been dead. He shouldn't have been sneezing. He coughed. They're like, the fact that he coughed, that's grace. He should have been dead. His body was stinking already. The fact that we get to serve God, oh my goodness. Amazing grace that God could use people like us to be a vessel through which others can see him through our lives. It's a show called Undercover Boss and uh, is a show where the CEO of large companies go undercover as just like an average Joe, and they work with normal people, employees, in order that they could get a, a view from that perspective on how this company functions. Sometimes they'll see like these complaining workers, and they'll be like, I can't believe we hire people like that. Other times they'll see other people who are doing hard work, and they're like, man, we got to honor people like that. Sometimes they'll see some flaws in customer service, and, and from a CEO perspective, they go undercover in order that they might see all those things. This one episode was about, and I, I heard about this through a video that I watched, but there's a guy named Igor. Okay? Igor was from Kazakhstan, same place as uh, Borat was from, but he was nice. He wasn't like Borat. So here's uh, Igor. Uh, Igor's job was to be a truck driver for 7-Eleven. So he would deliver the goods in the night shift. And so he has three children, uh, immigrant from, from Kazakhstan. He came over for, with $50 in his pocket. So his wife worked during the day, and he worked at night. So he would drive, uh, and that day, the CEO of 7-Eleven comes, and he dresses up like this normal Joe Schmo guy, and he says, hey, uh, my name is Phil or whatever it is, and I'm going to be training with you. I'm going to just be watching you and, and learning from you on how to work here at 7-Eleven. He has no idea that this is like his boss's 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 boss. And so here he is, and he's driving around with the CEO of 7-Eleven thinking he's just an average Joe. And so they get to the warehouse, and he opens the door, and he's like, this is my truck. He's like, I love my truck. I love my truck. Right? Some of you got nice trucks, but this is his 7-Eleven truck that delivers goods. He's like, I love my truck so much. He said, if my arms were long enough, I would hug my truck all the way around. He loves his truck, and he's smiling, and he, it's his 3 o'clock in the morning. So he's driving 7-Eleven to 7-Eleven, unloading pallets of water, 
And he's like, okay, this is what you have to do. You got to roll it down. And he's laughing and he's singing songs and he goes into one 7-Eleven. He's like dapping it up with people and they're like, hey, Igor, what's going on? He's like, hey, what's up, guys? And, and they all love Igor. He's laughing. He's like the life of the party. And he's just like, you know, just having a good old time in the middle of the night. <laughs> he's laughing and he's like just jovial. And this CEO is like, man, there's something different about this guy. This guy's strange, like... Normal people aren't doing this. They're dragging their feet. They got out of bed at midnight in order to work the graveyard shift. But he's laughing and just loving life. And at the end of the show, the CEO says, you know what, Igor, we need, man, we need people with your energy, with your enthusiasm. And so he gifted him with his brand new own 7-Eleven store in Texas. <laughs> and Igor is just like, through the moon. His, show was on, his uh, story was on Oprah Winfrey. And so Oprah's interviewing him, and he's like loving it. And he says, you know, like, uh, every customer who comes in, I want to treat them like an honored guest, like a guest I've been waiting for all of my life. At 7-Eleven, can you imagine that? 7-Eleven. It's not Victorian Alberts. Okay, this is not like some fine, it's 7-Eleven. <laughs> and he's like, I want to treat them like a guest I've been waiting for all of my life. And so they ask him, Igor, you're different. <laughs> what is your secret? And he said, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that I came over here from my country with $50 in my pocket. I'm thankful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that I survived. But I have my own store now. Like, this is grace. He didn't use that language, but this is what he said. He said, I'm thankful, and here's what gratitude is. When you have gratitude in your heart, man, this is good. If you've got, if you're, if you're a grateful person, then whatever you have is enough. Gratitude makes whatever you have enough. And I thought about Igor, and I thought about our church. I said, man, some of our folks get it. They understand that Igor's story, that's your story, it's my story, that we shouldn't be here, that we shouldn't be here. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. So to be able to serve him, to be able to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his heart, to be his eyes, to be his ears, that's all scandalous, undeserved grace. Because you see, the problem is, by nature, we're selfish people. We want more and more and more and more, not so that we can give more or do more, but we want more for ourselves. We're selfish. We don't share. We fight with each other. We want to do what we want to do. That's who we were. Nothing breaks the heart of a parent more than when their kids are selfish and they fight with each other. And so God in love 
said, we got to get this mess sorted out. Let me show them what it is to be a family. So he sent his only begotten son to enter into the world to lay down his life for this family. Was he gifted to do that? Jesus was uniquely shaped to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but it wasn't, I wouldn't be jumping to die for somebody else. But it says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he was doing it for the family that he loved. And this family, it's a family where everyone does something because someone gave everything for you and for me and for this family. Guys, each of us are uniquely gifted, uniquely shaped to do something to serve the body. When you do, this body begins to grow. And Lord knows we need it now more than ever as we begin to make some important transitions. And as you do that, you begin to grow as well when you begin to realize this is all God's grace. Then the language of I have to do this begins to dissipate and the language of grace begins to replace it. Not I have to do this, but I get to do this for God. I get to serve Him in this way. Because this is us, and through all the years, the past, the present, and now into the future, our church has been built by men and women who said, God, whatever it takes for you, for your church, for the harvest, Lord, I will build your church. Because this is who we are. So I want to give us a moment to respond to this. In your bulletin, there's a letter that I write every week, and on the back side of that letter, there's a short form. It's very simple. Kind of like the forms that we give out when we, at the beginning of the year, to sign up for ministries. Many of you are serving in different ways, and you found a way to do that. But maybe others of you haven't yet found your way. Or after today, you realize that for our church to grow, there are things that I can do, things that I get to do, things that I wish to do in order that God would be made more beautiful in the eyes of people in our church and those in this world. I mean, if you have something to write with, I just invite you to fill that out. It's very simple. There's a bunch of different ways, just in, in small categories, and it's not specific, but it's broad enough so that someone can contact you and can think together and dream together of how you can build the body of Christ. If you don't have a, something to write with, you can borrow from someone else. Or uh, in a few moments, we're going to come to the communion table. And there, there are pens up in the front. Uh, you can think through that right now, and then you can fill it out up here if you want, even if you're not taking part in communion. But as you fill that out as an act of gratitude, uh, when we come to the table of grace, uh, there are baskets in the front. You can just drop it off in there as your way of saying, God, I live my life in remembrance of grace that I've received. So I want to give you a moment to just prayerfully fill that out. And again, many of you are serving in different ways. Some of you are serving so faithfully in our church. Some of you are serving so faithfully in our youth ministry. But you know, some of our youth have got gifts 
that our adults really need and that our broader congregation really needs also. Some of our young people are not going to do great things tomorrow. They're already doing great things today, and they're going to continue to do that, and we want to platform them and give them the space to do that. Some of us adults, doesn't matter what's happened in the past, okay? Whatever regrets we may have or whatever you know, great days of glory we've had in the past, our future, our future is brighter than our present when we begin to give our gifts and give ourselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's take another few moments to do that, and if you finished, let's, let's pray to the Lord God. Thanking God for grace, thanking God for His faithfulness, thanking Him for who He is, for calling us to love and serve Him. And as we also prepare to think upon the cross, some of us will come to the table of grace if you've been baptized or confirmed and you're 16 or older. Others of us will sing a song while not coming and receiving the sacrament. But as we do that, we appreciate grace more the more we understand His forgiveness. So let's take a few minutes to confess our sins and repent of our sins before the Lord God and ask that He would cleanse and purify us. For those who are worshiping online, you can get your elements, and there will also be a link this week in our email for this form. You'll find it on our website as well, which if you want to fill out, you can do that as well. But let's pray now as we uh, invite our praise leaders back up. Let's pray to the Lord God. Lord, would you use my life? This is us. Our church has been built by men and women who have labored and loved and given and prayed and given their energy, their time, their talents, their treasures, their resources in order that the church would be built. God, I want to be counted among that number. I want to be numbered amongst the servants who consider this family to be mine. I'm not a guest. I'm a family member. And I want to give all that I am so that the church would be built. Let's pray for half a minute more, and then I'll pray for us, and then give instructions for what we're going to do next. Let's pray together for another 30 seconds. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. That your riches are made available to us because of the price that Jesus paid for us. Father, help us not truncate the gospel into thinking that it's just forgiveness in heaven, that's it. Yeah, our past is forgiven. Yeah, we've got a home in heaven. But we have a reason and a purpose for living now been given us grace that strengthens us to live for you 
been given us grace that allows us to serve you. That's the better part of grace in this journey of life. Thank you that we get to do this for your glory. Thank you that as we come to this table and as we sing this song, that we will be reminded of grace and what makes it so beautiful to us. And so would you help us to rest and to bathe and to soak in that grace so that we'd be giving out of the fullness, not giving out of a lack. Help us, Lord. We love you because you've loved us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.